Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number four zero, the big 40, episode 40 of The Right Take. I'm Eric Lindrum. I'm Jacob Grandstaff. And we've got a lot to talk about with you guys today. This is going to be a fun episode for sure. We are going to talk about, among many, many other things, the FBI turning its guns, metaphorical, but also possibly literal, on regular American citizens like you guys. We are going to talk about how Biden may very well be taking an unprecedented action unseen in the presidency since the 1800s. But before we get to any of those really juicy topics, let's start off. Um, let's let's go back, actually. Remember how we keep pointing out here on The Right Take that the media really isn't that leftist or liberal when you really take a closer look at what they're doing or what they're saying? Take, for example, the AP, the latest thing the AP has done. They're very dishonest, that's putting it mildly, representation of the Kellogg Union strike. Jacob, what exactly is going on with that uh, particular cereal company? Yeah, so the Kellogg workers decided to go on strike at five of their locations on Tuesday, and the AP reported on it. And one of the things that these workers are, can, are complaining about is they're having some of their protections and some of their benefits cut. And they're being threatened. Their jobs are being threatened to be sent off to Mexico. And so they're arguing, you know, look, a lot of Americans may be fine with their cars or their smartphones being made abroad. But whenever you're dealing with food, the FDA and OSHA don't have any oversight in, um, you know, food plants in Mexico. Well, the AP decides to they, they report the story and they write, quote, the company insists that its offer is fair and would increase wages and benefits for its employees that it said made an average of 120000 a year last year. And the AP doesn't correct that. They don't follow up with that. They don't do any explaining. Whereas if this were, let's say, a statement given by Donald Trump, the AP in their unbiased news article would immediately bend over backwards to correct that statement or at least provide clarification or the other side to provide context so that the way their liberal readers won't think that they're just parroting what Donald Trump says. But in this case, they just parrot what Kellogg says. They don't give the workers take on that 120,000 figure. I mean, it, first of all, it doesn't – any person, any layperson knows that the average Kellogg employee working in Nebraska or Memphis, Tennessee does not make an average of $120,000 a year. In fact, if you go to Glassdoor, you see that the starting salary is something like $12, $13 an hour. Most of these workers are probably working for no more than $18, $20 an hour, and that's that's being generous. But by that $120,000 a year figure, obviously that's just taking all of their employees, including management, and coming up with the average figure. And, I mean, any company, whether it's Walmart or Kellogg, the management is always going to make much, much more than the line employee. And, of course, on Twitter, people were just eviscerating AP for this, pointing out that this is obviously – they're obviously in the pocket of Kellogg or they're, they're obviously partisan to Kellogg's side in this strike. And it just goes to show that – I mean the, the AP we've, – we've brought up the AP in the past before, how biased they are. But these news companies – like take the Washington Post. It's owned by Jeff Bezos. These news companies are not liberal. Used to, they were liberal. They were genuinely more of the FDR liberal variety. Today, right. they're more of the Jeff Bezos. They're more like the corporatists. Mark Zuckerberg. They're corporatists more yeah, than they're, anything they're else. Yeah, they're corporatists. They're socially liberal. They're obviously against Western civilization. They're against tradition. They're against nationalism. They're against Christianity or any kind of any kind of tradition. They just support the, the corporatist new world order that all these corporations support. And by new world order, I just mean in the global economy. They support having the global supply chains spread out across multiple countries and they're perfectly fine with these jobs being shipped over to Mexico. They know, only it doesn't like, matter to them. Yeah, they only virtue signal to things like BLM. Like they don't uh, – they questionably – or they arguably don't really believe it. They just go along with it because it's the trend. But deep down inside, what motivates them is what motivates a lot more in American society than you would think. And that is the bottom line, what lines their pockets the most. But moving on to those who aren't motivated by just money, who are arguably even scarier, I would think but certainly are much scarier than the AP shilling for Kellogg, is the deep state at it again. I've said at the very beginning of the Biden administration when he announced a lot of his nominees for the cabinet, one of the most dangerous ones to keep an eye on was Merrick Garland. You know, this was the guy who was going to be on the Supreme Court, but then his nomination was stalled for over a year by the Senate Republicans led by Mitch McConnell. That was one good thing he did. And, of course, he did not get that seat, and that seat ultimately went to Neil Gorsuch instead. Ever since then, I said, watch out for this guy. This guy has, obviously, the bone to pick with Republicans, and he is not going to hesitate to use power if it is given to him. He was given command of the Department of Justice. He is Biden's attorney general. And we have talked on this show, of course, many times about the rising trend, the very encouraging trend, of parents 
protesting school board meetings over primarily critical race theory, but also transgenderism and mask mandates, vaccine mandates, all these things. And this is good. This has proven very, very effective. We've seen several school board meetings in Utah and elsewhere where the board members literally fled the building. They just decide to adjourn the meetings and leave. And the parents basically take over. You know, we won. We chased them out. In some cases, some quote unquote educators, teachers and board members have resigned out of all the public pressure against critical race theory. And we say, good, this is useful. This is what the left would do. And that's why it is working. And that's exactly why Garland is setting his sights on this tactic. They're trying to shut this tactic down because it is so effective. I wrote about this for American Greatness. We'll put a link to this in the description below. On October 4th, that's earlier this week, Garland wrote a memo to FBI Director Christopher Wray and several FBI agents. Uh, the subject line reads, quote, partnership among federal, state, local, tribal, and territorial law enforcement to address threats against school administrators Board members, teachers, and staff. First paragraph, quote, In recent months, there has been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools. While spirited debate about policy matters is protected under our Constitution, that protection does not extend to threats of violence to intimidate individuals based on their views. End quote. That's the end of the first paragraph. Uh, I got to ask, uh, Jacob, did you, have you heard anything about any uh, threats of violence or terroristic threats against uh, school board members or anything? No, they're just threatening to take their schools back, and that's a problem. They're th yeah, they're, the most threats they'll make is they'll threaten to run against them. You have parents saying, yo, I'll run against you. I'll challenge you for re-election next year. But last I checked, that is a perfectly legal way to do it. But they are going all in on this. This is... An absolute joke. So some of the latest. I mean, it should be a joke, but this is terrifying. They said that in a few days, uh, this again was written October 4th, so coming soon, they're going to announce new measures to, quote, address the rise in criminal conduct directed towards school personnel. Among these measures will be a, quote, federal task force. I can only imagine what that's going to encompass because it's a very it's a very broad term. It's a, he obviously does not give any specifics. He doesn't present any evidence, of course, in this memo. There's no evidence of any of these threats he's talking about. But he says that they are going to take steps in the very near future. In other words, translation, this is all just fancy bureaucratic talk. He's going to sick the FBI on these parents. He, he's literally he's this letter was sent to Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI. So the two most powerful law enforcement agencies in the country, Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, are going to start investigating these parents. And this didn't just come out of nowhere. No, 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 no. This We've seen plenty of collusion, I guess you could use that word, between the Biden administration and a lot of external organizations, whether it's unions or interest groups or what have you. This comes after the National School Board Association, NSBA, wrote a letter to the Biden administration demanding that the Biden administration take action against parents who protest against critical race theory and label them as, quote, domestic terrorists. America's public schools, this is from the letter, quote, America's public schools and its education leaders are under an immediate threat. These threats and acts of violence are affecting our nation's democracy at the very foundational levels, causing many, causing school board members, many who are not paid, to resign immediately and or discontinue their service after their respective terms. Quote, as these acts of malice, violence, and threats against public school officials have increased, the classification of these heinous actions could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism and hate crimes. I got hate crimes, end quote. That's interesting. Uh, I, I, I thought hate crimes were usually crimes carried out based on something like race or gender or the, the things you can't change about yourselves, your ethnicity. Uh, I'm pretty sure people can choose to be teachers, so I don't think hate crimes committed against a profession wouldn't qualify as a hate crime. But so what they what they do with that is anytime the school board member is of a different race, specifically a minority, and then there's a white parent who's complaining, then they can always grab something that that white parent said and construe it to make it sound like a hate crime. Oh yeah, they'll make it sound like it's about white supremacy. There was a, in Pensacola, Florida. There was a they had a big school board meeting over masks, and one of the school board members was a lady from of Chinese or Taiwanese descent, and they tried to make it about anti-Asian hate. This was back in the spring when they were trying the media was trying to push Asian that. Stop Asian hate. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were so that's that's how they do it with the hate crime. You know, it can be it's something that doesn't have anything to do with race. They could be talking about masks in school. 
And if you have a white parent who's accosting, verbally accosting a non-white school board member, then all of a sudden they can throw hate crime charges at you. Yeah, but this just really goes to show, I mean, again, A, yeah, the Biden administration is obviously in the pocket of this NSBA and other, you know, teachers unions, which, uh, again, it's, said, it's been said that unions have lost their power by and large compared to where they were a few decades ago. But if there's one kind of teachers union in the country that still is obscenely powerful, it's teachers unions. You've seen it with the coronavirus lockdowns. The teachers unions are the ones refusing to go back to school. They're the ones like in, in L.A., Chicago and elsewhere where they'll negotiate these stupid terms. Oh, we'll only go back to school. We're here for our safety with the coronavirus. We'll only go back to school if uh, you give us free health care and if you give us, you know, extra paid maternity leave. Like, things that have nothing to do with coronavirus safety measures, but they are throwing everything in the kitchen sink in there, and they're using the children as bargaining chips because obviously that's, unfortunately, it's a very valuable bargaining chip they have at their disposal. You know, teachers, no school, right? So the teachers' unions are scumbags. Uh, uh, there are plenty, there are, of course, there are good teachers out there, but the unions are scumbags. They're run by scumbags. They know what they're doing. But it's more than that. The fact that they are now whipping up the FBI and the DOJ to target regular American citizens. I mean, we, we saw this already with January 6th, of course, where they sent they went after hundreds of peaceful protesters who didn't do anything except take selfies in Nancy Pelosi's office. They didn't burn anything. They didn't break a single window. They didn't attack any police officers. None of that happened. But they spent months and months. These people are still in solitary nine months later. They ordered Bank of America to report any transactions of any of their customers in D.C. on January 6th, even if they had nothing to do with the protests, to monitor their bank accounts and monitor financial transactions. Biden, the Biden administration, Biden himself has encouraged Americans to rat on their fellow, their family members and friends for simply being pro-Trump. We hear a lot every now and then about a police state, and it's a cliche term, obviously, but it's becoming more and more realistic. We saw it with January 6th, you could argue, was an extreme example, but now for parents simply protesting, and we talked about this in the episode, the last episode about uh, Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin with CRT in schools. Parents definitely have a right to have a say in what goes on in their parent in their children's schools. It's their, They have that right as voters, certainly as parents of students, but also as voters who elect these school board members to go to these school board meetings and protest. And it's not just a matter of subjective things like critical race theory. In uh, Loudoun County, I believe, it was uh, Loudoun or Fairfax, it was one of those two, a mother found that the public school libraries there had two books on homosexuality, the promoting homosexuality. One of them was a graphic novel literally depicting gay sex between underage boys. And she brought this to school board's attention, and sure enough, the books were removed from the public library. So basically child pornography, indecency, that they absolutely have a right to protest against these things. But according to Merrick Garland over here, still bitter over never getting the Supreme Court nomination, these people are terrorists because they don't think their children should be exposed to graphic depictions of homosexuality. You know, it's, Well, the response to the January 6th episode laid out the, the groundwork for what they want to do. So for, the first thing you do is you demonize a segment of the population because, because of their political activism. You get— 51% of the general public to have a, an unfavorable opinion of them, and then you label them domestic terrorists. You get the FBI to go around to their homes. And so, for instance, with the January 6th protesters in Alabama, there was this family that the guy had gone into the Capitol. The FBI came to his house while his family was there, and for nine hours, nine hours total, they made the wife and the two kids sit on the grass in front of the house for oh nine straight hours. And they purposely did that so all the neighbors, they would make a, spe a spectacle. They had like 10 FBI vehicles. They had dozens and dozens of FBI agents. They went into the house, guns drawn. They ordered the wife and kids out on onto the ground, and they, of course, arrested the dad, and they went and just completely destroyed the house. They ransacked the house. And, of course, it's a big spectacle for the neighbors. The neighbors are all, you know, uh, watching what's going on over there. And then, of course, the news media then comes in, and they interview neighbors, and one of the neighbors gave the quote to the media that they were looking for, which was, "Wow, I didn't realize you never know what kind of what kind of neighbors you have." Implying, monsters living next implying door, implying that right? they had uh -huh. monsters at this fan, this dad and his wife and his kids. They were monsters living next to him because the dad had walked inside the Capitol building. But this is what they do. And just one more uh, example in New York, there was a man who did not go into the Capitol. He was questioned by the FBI. He sent the FBI pictures on his phone that had timestamps. <laughs> showing oh, where boy. he was when the Capitol was breached. And they still went to his house and searched. Of course, he wasn't arrested because he didn't commit a crime, but they went ahead and searched his house anyway. Of course, the whole nine yards, guns drawn, you know, they, they bring in 15 FBI vehicles. They block the street. And for hours, they're sitting there just so he can be made a spectacle. And then they leave. Oh, we didn't find anything. 
And what it did is it just ruined the guy's reputation because he's in New York City. Everyone watches the media. They believe that all these people are domestic terrorists. Right. So now the guy who's lived and grown up there on his street, nobody wants to talk to him. Everyone stays away from him because now it's known, oh, he was one of the uh, the January 6th insurrectionists. But this is the way the FBI does it. And this is what they're trying to do now with parents who object to critical race theory or anything else at school board meetings. They want to then you know call them out. Of course, they want to get parents to rat them out just like they did with the January 6th protesters. They send the FBI in to show a force, humiliate these people, and even if they're not charged, they don't have to be charged. It's just the spectacle. Exactly. Yeah. The FBI showed up to the neighbor's house because they were apparently threatening school board members, and then they become. It's the and this is what they're doing. They're not using the government to oppress people. They're using people's neighbors to oppress people. They're using people's family members. It's kind of turn- a, well, it's kind of a combination. They definitely are mobilizing government resources against these people. Again, nine hours, ten agents with guns drawn. Like they are using the government, but ultimately, that's kind of the the catalyst for the social pressure. At the Family Research Council Summit in Virginia recently, uh, one Florida mother, Keisha King, spoke, and she suggested that parents in mass pull their kids out of school because, you know, just to send a message. She said, quote, you're at home trying to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for your kids, and the FBI could be knocking on your door because you might have said the wrong thing at a school board meeting. And the thing, the point she was making is that, okay, so we've tried everything. We've emailed them. We've called the school board members. We've showed up, and we've voiced our opinions. Now the FBI is wanting to come down on us. The only thing we have to resort to is to pull our kids out of school. And honestly, at this point, that's the best thing that could have happened. I mean, if every single Republican parent pulled their kids out of school this put, fall at put the them same in time, private schools or homeschooled them, yeah, yeah that then that would cut the that would cut the funding. That would cut the you know you'd have empty classrooms in a lot of areas. So that I mean that's definitely something that uh, they should consider as a way to fight back. Such a great idea. That's uh, just the image that you've described. There, empty classrooms of cut funding. That's so great. And forget what I said about police state. That stuff you described. I did not even know the, either of those stories in Alabama or New York. That's straight up Gestapo tactics right there. That is actually like Kristallnacht going on right here. In the United States, so well. See, the only way, reason why you would know about it is if you happen to read, if you happen to be living in those communities and happen to read mm-hmm. the local press. And of course, the local press doesn't give a fair shake either because they're owned by conglomerates, right? <laughs> so you have to read between the lines to find out what's actually happening. And the, and the only, really, the only right wing publications that are carrying these stories are like the Gateway Pundit, few <laughs> National File, yeah. a few others, or even and even those that do focus heavily on January sixth. They're more focused, I think, understandably, on the actual political prisoners, the ones being held in solitary confinement in D.C. for nine months, being beaten by guards, you know, being denied their legal representation. Understandably so, but you're not hearing much about those who like associate family members of prisoners or those who were accused but then ultimately not arrested but they still get their homes destroyed and ransacked in front of their neighbors so it's it's all just such a mess and until we and again I, they're doing this because it is effective so hopefully these parents will continue to fight back and not back down under the pressure like a lot of other like the january 6th people again they're being legally compelled it's you will go to jail unless you publicly have your four minutes of shame and renounce your support for trump and crap like that which i wasn't aware that that was even a legal thing you could legally sentence someone to read certain books to be re-educated again that's actually some soviet union nazi germany stuff there was another one a guy who was released uh, for home confinement and they agents burst into his house unannounced and he was watching videos of mike lindell the my pillow guy and same thing, you know, oh, you're watching Mike Lindell, that's the wrong thing. You must go back to jail and it, like Monopoly, go back to jail. And I'm just like, wow, even watching the my pillow guy literally gets you thrown in jail. It's this the country, it's been said before, the memes that go around obviously like the the synth wave memes of like the eighties filter over the twin towers and it says, The world you were born in no longer exists. And that is unfortunately truer than ever before in the aftermath of January sixth. And now we're seeing it again with a much broader scope of parents, not tied to any singular crime but to one singular strain of thought. Well, in order to understand why the world we once lived in no longer exists, it's important to understand how it got to this point. Mm-hmm. Like, where did it start? Why? How is it that Americans today have less freedom than countries that we consider totalitarian just 10 years ago? What are the roots? In, one, in some instances, the United States has actually gone further than what China has, has gone. And one of the ways that it's it's gotten this way, with well, the principal way that it's gotten this way, is from universities. We we talked about on the um, the episode where we talked about the Robert E. Lee statue. We talked about we talked about the historian Eric Foner, whose parents were Bolsheviks, and who has dedicated his entire life to reprogramming the way that Americans think about the Civil War, think about the Confederates, think about Reconstruction, and think about the relationship between blacks and whites in this country, particularly the power dynamic since the Civil War. I mean, this is what this guy has dedicated his entire academic life to. People like him have successfully reprogrammed 
literally millions of Americans who have gone through the university system because Americans were under the impression in the 80s that the way to get ahead was to send your kids to college. That was the ticket to the middle class. At the time, universities were not indoctrinating students because we were in the Cold War. Once the Cold War faded away, once it fell, then these these Bolsheviks who had been lying low for four decades, they were now able to teach everything that they wanted to teach all along. And I remember reading an article, this was in 2000, the late 2000s, put out by a National Review. They were talking about how university students don't really know, American students don't really know anything about history. In fact, they know less whenever they graduate than they do whenever they entered college. And they proved this by surveying 18-year-old freshmen and then surveying students at the same university four years later and finding that they actually scored poorer on history, these history surveys than they did when they entered college. And they're wondering, how is this possible? They interviewed Eric Foner, and he said, well, it's just don't – it's not that big of a deal. I'll guarantee you that they're able to explain more about slavery now than they were when they entered college. And it just showed his mentality. He wanted – he sees history in universities as a means to indoctrinate students about America's racist past than to teach them about American history. Well, this, is, this article is from Campus Reform. It says, surveillance on campus. Universities give students tools to report on each other's COVID violations or bias incidents. So universities are now enabling students to report each other and rat each other out if they happen to violate COVID protocols or if they happen to violate their equity, diversity, and inclusion protocols. Kind of reminds me of the, uh, I, again, I know you said in some cases it's worse than China, but that definitely kind of gives me callbacks to uh, China's social credit score system, where, among other things, you know, loyalty to the state, including ratting out traitors, or maybe more akin to the Soviet Union. You know, the Soviet Union was, we saw family members stringing on each other, but yeah, asking college students especially who couldn't care less about fellow students, that is just. So the, what this does is it enables rival student groups on campus, whether they come from rival fraternities, rival sororities, maybe it's the football players. And the baseball players, this gives them an opportunity now to take out their, you know, their biases and their rivalries and now get their rivals suspended or kicked out of college. Right. Instead of pulling pranks on each other like rival fraternities, now it's rat them out for COVID violations. They get Mm -hmm. suspended or expelled. And this is what happened in whenever you had wars that took place, whether it was a civil war or World War II. You had groups, whether they were different religious denominations, whether they were just different classes. They used the war as this to gave them an opportunity to now kill people that previously they just didn't like. But the war gave them an opportunity to hate and it gave them an opportunity now to not just, you know, dislike their opponents or their rivals, their competitors. It now gave them an opportunity to eliminate their competitors. And then the fact that these universities are encouraging that is just pure evil. So this is this article is by Caitlin Richardson. She writes Michigan State University provides students with a reporting system to achieve what the school describes as a safe and supportive environment for its community members. The school's culturally inclusive college sharing system is an online submission form that allows the university to track and respond to behaviors and situations that work to support or detract from its goals of a safe and supportive environment. The form tells students that some protected speech can still warrant a report. Anything intended to, quote, intimidate, demean, mock, degrade, marginalize, or threaten their identities, real or perceived. So even if you say something that intimidates, demeans, mocks, or degrades a person's perceived identity, it may not even be their identity. It's just the identity that they perceive themselves to have. This is just, this is clown world at its its finest. Honk, honk. So their, their identity is real or perceived is worth notifying the university about. Actions need not be intended to harm and can do as little as promote a negative, hostile, or unwelcoming environment for the target. Students can specify whether they are requesting the college to take action or are simply supplying information to help, quote, track trends and help determine patterns. The second kind of report also allows students to share good deeds that support diversity and inclusion goals. MSU's CIC system is similar to the widespread COVID reporting strategies that have been adopted by universities over the past year, which have encouraged students to report peers who do not comply with COVID-19 regulations. University strategies for maximizing COVID-19 compliance range from online forums to enlisting students as health ambassadors and influencers, as well as paying those who encouraged mask wearing, distancing, and informing the college of peer vaccine attitudes. Imagine that, informing the college of their peers' vaccine attitudes. Vaccine attitudes. So if if a student expresses discontent with the fact that the university is rolling out a vaccine mandate, that student can then be reported to faculty and administration for disciplinary action. So for that having way, a wrong opinion. For having a wrong opinion. 
The University of Miami hired 75, 75, think about that. That's what, this is what your tax dollars are going for, Florida residents. The University of Miami hired 75 student ambassadors to influence peers to follow health guidelines on campus, the school announced in November 2020. The university website quotes one ambassador saying that her cohort are so well recognized by their shirts that students automatically fix their mask when seeing them. So you've got these people who are walking around. They've got a badge on. They're walking around. These are 75 different students, your peers, are walking around campus with a badge on. And their job is to report anyone who has their mask below their nose. So those are, students uh, walk by and they see them. So they immediately fix their mask. Okay, I'm, I'm behaving I, myself. I am old enough to remember when those kids in school were known as hall monitors. And they were widely universally considered dweebs mm-hmm. and nobody liked them nobody respected them you did not care if they saw you you know in the hall without your hall pass or things like that like nobody cared but now no because they're on the university payroll they now have the power to get you kicked out of college so you better respect them or your entire college career is gone you're not going to get a college degree and you know this isn't the good old days anymore where someone like that would get what they deserve you know you remember the old phrase snitches get stitches where someone like that would <laughs> the, the right the proper thing to do this would not be a case of like bullying some kids the, a lot of these like hall monitor types are usually you know scrawny little nerds but they would justifiably get beaten up for being snobs and mm-hmm. losers and they would deserve it but now they're at protected. the very at the very minimum they would get thrown into a locker oh yeah or a trash can absolutely like but now no 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 that would be a hate crime for reporting specifics to encouraging diversity goals, a Michigan State University system also is not unique. Schools from Sacramento State to Harvard University sponsor their own bias reporting. The bias-related incident reporting form at Harvard Medical School, which is designed to ensure every community member feels that their experiences reflect the school's values of diversity, equity, and inclusion, allows students to submit reports anonymously. While the results of a, so they can just lie if you don't like another student on campus. This right. is why this is this is why free not only whenever you chill free speech, you also chill relationships. People aren't going to go out of their way to make friends. People aren't oh, going to yeah. make friends, period. They're not going to trust anybody. So I mean, what ends up happening is you have these young adults who are already at a, a really a difficult time in their life. They're entering college and they're not going to be making friends because they don't know who to trust. So they're just going to keep their head down and study and keep their mouth shut and do what they're told. And the suicide rate is just going to skyrocket. The depression rate is just going to go out the roof. You eliminate one of the best, a few good things about college, which is the social scene. That's the whole point of college Mm -hmm. is to go. You meet people from, you know, around the state, outside of your hometown. You meet people from other states and you make friends. And I still have friends from college to this day that I talk to. You know, it's that's a valuable part of college. It's not just education. It's also it's also a social experience. But get this. While the results of a report aren't clear, the FAQ section at this is at Harvard Medical School. The FAQ section explains that those who exhibit behaviors motivated by bias will be provided opportunities to gain, quote, greater awareness of resources and pathways for ongoing personal development and growth on these issues. This isn't this is not America. This, so if you are reporting That's some ministry of propaganda. It is, words speak nonsense. Exactly. This is 1984 on steroids. So if a student reports you, if you so in class, you got a class discussion about race. Because you can't really separate politics from race in America. So in this political science class, you've got a discussion about politics, which is essentially a discussion about race. And someone offers an opinion that is even slightly critical of the Black Lives Matter movement. Like maybe they just suggest, oh, I don't think all white Americans are racist. Or maybe they suggest that people shouldn't have their businesses burned. Maybe they just (laughs) suggest that if you have a business in a city – and a black person is killed by a cop, that your business shouldn't get burned to the ground. One of your classmates can can anonymously report you to the university, and the university will then suggest that you read certain books in your mm-hmm. now get this you're you're a medical student so you don't have any spare time right but this is assuming that you're not in a relationship this is assuming that you don't have a huge social life your your you know your medical school your studies are consuming most of your time but now and you're studying for a legitimate occupation but now because you've been anonymously reported you have to take you have to make time to go read this indoctrination you have to go take time to read these books and take advantage of these resources that were quote-unquote suggested to you by the university or else you'll be expelled and you'll never become a doctor right exactly so i mean we're you know communist china is already here this idea that well if you know we're eventually going to become like communist china it's already here at the university level it's just that it's more at the so it's more of a social pressure rather than government this is where it is clearly a social issue rather than a government issue this is not deep state this is not biden or big government doing this this is the social scene 
Since COVID-19, colleges across the country have found new ways to track students using more sophisticated technology. Multiple schools, such as the University of Cincinnati, have developed apps to assist in the tracking of student symptoms. Until the fall of 2021 semester, UC students were required to conduct health checks on their UC COVID check app every single morning. Without a green pass, students would not be permitted to enter any buildings on campus. University of Pennsylvania, New York University, Yale University, the University of Arizona, and others have used similar programs. Oakland University took it further, announcing in July 2020 the Bio Button, a small device worn on the chest to track COVID symptoms, would have been required for all residents until nearly 2,500 students signed a petition and pressured the school to backtrack on this decision. Before COVID-19 hit the U.S. in spring 2020, campus reform reported that January that January of 2020 that the University of Missouri announced a tracking app designed to ensure student athletes were attending class by pinpointing their location. So this is this doesn't have anything to do with COVID. COVID simply allowed them to roll out the Orwellian state that they wanted beforehand. This was developed in January 2020. But currently, with the transition to online classes maturing, test pro- um, proctoring software from companies like ProctorU and Proctorio have risen in popularity. Pre- to prevent cheating, software features include tracking student eye movement, recording the computer screen and room surroundings, and listening through a microphone. Oh my God. Schools, including the University of Illinois at Ur- Urbana-Champaign, already stopped using the software following a student petition with over 1,000 signatures. But university surveillance also extends beyond school-sponsored tools and programs. In August 2020, Northeastern University threatened to rescind admission for 115 students who responded to an Instagram poll not officially connected to the university, indicating they would attend parties during the coming semester. The pollster was nonetheless contacted by the school and asked to report the names of students who responded. While the Northeastern students were not suspended, other students have been making the consequences of tracking real. And late the university suspended 117 students for not complying with the COVID-19 testing requirement. Students are not allowed to attend classes in person or online or even live on campus while they are suspended, according to university statement. That same week, Purdue University also suspended eight students, put 18 individuals on a diversion program, and had one leave the university for missing surveillance testing required for unvaccinated students. Also, last month, Campus Reform reported that 80% of students self-report self-censoring their views on campus. And can you blame them? Report themselves. No, no, or, or report others. 80% of students report self-censoring. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they re, they self-censor. Now, they're not oh. self-report. They self-censor. When I was in college, nobody self-censored, at least the, the early years of my college, no. of my college years. No one self-censored on campus in, on, on, in college. In political, um, political science is my minor. In political science classes, whenever we discussed anything, everyone gave their opinions freely. The only time I remember anyone expressing they were afraid to give their opinions is I had this one feminist professor in political science. Oh, boy. And people were afraid to say anything that would be – that would in any way offend her because she was extremely rude to students. Like if someone walked in two seconds late, she would chew them out in front of the entire class. So just because of that, they were a little bit afraid to express an opinion that went against her opinion. But this kind of censorship, this kind of self-censorship didn't exist. I remember at the end of my – this would have been 2014, 2015 – they started going haywire on Title IX. So on-campus employees were required to report their their coworkers if their coworkers said anything that was regarded as sexist. And if they didn't report and somebody else reported, they could get in trouble for not being a snitch. And on a study abroad program, one of my uh, one of my uh, classmates got kicked out of the program because he would get drunk and go around knocking on girls' doors. So. That's understandable. The but problem, that's actually that's that's fair to punish. But, but here's for that. the problem: he wasn't kicked out for that. He was kicked out for violating Title IX. Like that was the reason why. That was the official reason why he got kicked out of the program. And one of the professors actually came to me, and rather than simply being a normal human being and saying, "Okay," so I'll just say his name was, we'll say Daniel. Instead of coming to me and say, "So I heard that Daniel was going around doing such and such," instead he went and he whispered, pulled me aside, and said, "So I, I've been told that there has been a Title IX violation." So you may be contacted by someone at the university with questions. Would you be willing to respond to those questions? Men in black suits will be at your dorm door. I just flatly told him no. (laughs) I said no. I won't. He said, so you're not willing to assist with the Title IX investigation? I said no. Talk to my lawyer. He's like, okay, okay, all right. So, all right. So he walked off. Now, he could have had me kicked out for saying that because that's not cooperating. For not cooperating. This is the draconian. Orwellian university state. This is the state of our universities in America. 
we have created a system that is more Chinese, more communist than the Chinese themselves. Half of me wishes I was still a student just so I could really screw around with them and like troll them back. And then the other half of me is like, I'm glad I got out when oh, I did. You'd be kicked out. That's the thing. Like I would never, there's no way. Well, first of all, because of the vaccine requirements, I wouldn't be able to go to college oh, at most of these same. universities anyways. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because just because I'm not getting vaccinated, I don't need to be vaccinated. I've had COVID. So, so for that reason, I'm very happy that I've already gone through the university system. But the thing is, the, a lot of times people will take the attitude of, okay, well, I'm glad I'm not in university. I'm glad my kids are out of college, or I'm glad that my, you know, I'm not sending my kids to college. I'm just going to you know, take them to a tech school or whatever like that. Here's the problem with that. These draconian policies, they are not for the students. They're for us. They're using students as a test run. They're using, they're using universities as a test run. They're using students as guinea pigs. These are, if you notice what was going on at university campuses 10 years ago, eight years ago, that's now being implemented by the Biden administration. Exactly. Going against these parents, going after the, the January 6th protesters. It's a trial run for the country as a whole. Yeah, because most of these, if you talk to most of these students, most of them, they don't read the fine print whenever they join these colleges, whenever no. they enroll. Nobody does anymore. They don't care about this stuff. I guarantee if you'd poll these people, you'd probably find that five, if anonymously, you'd find that maybe 5% is opposed to it, 5% supports it, and the other 90% is completely indifferent. They're just there for the social life. They're there to get their degree and get out. They don't care about the university's policies. But the reason why the universities are implementing this stuff is because they want to watch the reactions. They want to see how far they can go in oppressing students. And as you can see, there is some pushback. It's not like there's no pushback. Like whenever they were going to implement the the chess button, there was a petition that got it rescinded. Sometimes the students do push back if you push far enough. And that's basically what they're trying to see. They want to see, okay, how far can we go with EI, this diversity, equity, inclusion, totalitarianism before the students push back? How, you know, what, what are what are the limits? So that way, because there's a revolving door between academia and the Democratic administration. So in, a, in 10 years, you're going to see this implemented on a national level. Now, we're already seeing this in Australia. In Australia, they recently rolled out a uh, tracking device in Victoria. So in Victoria, in the state of Victoria, if you travel abroad and you come back to Australia, you now are sent a text. You have to download an app and the government will send you a text and you have five minutes to take a selfie. If you have not taken a selfie within five minutes, the police will be at your door to check and make sure you're there. I heard about this one. If you're in the shower and your phone, you get that you get that text and you're not out in five minutes, you haven't taken that selfie, you're going to have the police show up at your door. People need to stop taking this attitude of, oh, well, I'm glad I'm not in college or I'm glad my kids aren't in college because this isn't for them. This is for you. This is to make this totalitarian. It's not your problem now, but it will eventually become your problem. And it really kind of is your problem because you're you're funding those universities with your tax dollars. This is the problem that a lot of people uh, people make. This is the mistake that a lot of people make. They assume that all these universities are funded by tuition. They're not. They're funded anywhere from twenty percent to sixty percent. The state colleges. They're funded anywhere from twenty percent to sixty percent by your tax dollars. Mm-hmm. So this should have been a plank in the Republican Party's platform 30, 20, 30 years ago. That they were going to micromanage the universities because these universities, they're not private. They are public universities that every single taxpayer has a stake in and every single taxpayer should have a say in what's being taught and the policies that are being implemented. And, you know, if Republic, if the Republican Party doesn't crack, doesn't make this a part of their platform and doesn't crack down on these state universities – then this is going to become national policy of the Democratic Party because there is no – as we've seen, there is no limit that the Democrats will place on themselves. The, the Democratic Party will go to every they – will, they will push the envelope until we are a completely totalitarian country if it's not stopped at the universities. Exactly. They will go as far as they can without resistance. They will only go so far until enough people finally stand up and stop talking about it and start actively fighting back against it and doing something about it. And again, I would advocate – I unironically – advocate that those goofy hall monitors with their badges on campus be thrown into lockers or be thrown into trash cans, thrown into a lake nearby ponds or whatever, dunk on them, show them what they deserve because that is how you should, that is if there was more resistance against the Gestapo in Nazi Germany or if there was more resistance against, you know, the, the soldiers in so in the Soviet Union cracking down on family members for wrong thing. There maybe it would have come crashing down a little bit sooner. Who knows? Maybe they would have been able to stop it before it really got out of hand. Well, at that point, it was too late. That's the, uh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. what we mean. Like at that we point, need, it, there's a chance to stop it now before it gets too late here. But it's it was already too late for them back then. I mean, the time to stop it was in the universities. This is why in the four. This is why in the 30s and 40s, as we talked about with the phoners, this is why the phoners got kicked out of the schools in New York City. It, New York was the most liberal state in the country at the time, and even New York understood 
that you can't have freedom of speech with these people. You, you cannot – this is one of the things that the, the right doesn't understand. You keep, they keep whining about, well, we need freedom of speech. We support freedom of we speech. We need free dialogue. You can't have free dialogue with people who don't think you should exist. Exactly. These people think that Europeans should have stayed in Europe. They shouldn't have colonized North America. They don't think the United States should exist. You can't have free speech with that. The people who created the Constitution, who created free speech, were the descendants of European colonizers. Exactly. So how are you going to have free speech? These people don't deserve free speech. They don't deserve freedom of the press. They don't deserve freedom of religion. The only thing they deserve is to be shut up and locked up. This is why people were demanding that Hillary Clinton be locked up because they recognized what she represented. It wasn't just her. It was the totalitarian left that she represented that people, even in you know small towns and hamlets, even if they don't know anything that goes on in universities, in their gut, they understood the authoritarianism that was hiding behind the curtain. Exactly. You can't have a dialogue with authoritarianism. It's an authoritarianism and it's with Hillary too, but with also this broader example. It's also the double standard that Hillary could m- commit these actual crimes, these high crimes while in power, selling influence, using private servers, whatever, and get away with it. And nothing happened to her. Whereas, you know, little campaign advisors on the Trump campaign, Papadopoulos and Page, get the books thrown at them for literally nothing. And it's the same thing here. You know, January 6th protesters get solitary confinement for nine months for taking selfies in Nancy Pelosi's office, while a black school shooter in Texas shoots four people, including minors, underage girls, and he's released the very next day on a $75,000 bond. So it's a double standard, and we absolutely, yeah, I agree. I've always said, or I've said very recently, I've come to this understanding They think we shouldn't exist. They think we shouldn't have any rights. They would take away our free speech. I view free speech the same way I view self-defense. Anyone who tries to take away my free speech, I am justified in trying to take away their free speech first. At that point, it's a matter of whoever wins first, basically. For our main topic today, we got to go back to the man who's the figurehead of all of this. Again, he may not actually be in charge of this, but he is the one who should be addressed here. Joe Biden is doing something that I almost want to give him credit for or acknowledge this as an admirable thing that he is doing. It was well known that during the Trump administration, arguably the biggest thorn in his side, other than the hack known as Robert Mueller, the biggest thorn in his side were these fake judges, these left-wing activists masquerading as judges in their flowy robes in Hawaii and California who would come in out of nowhere and rule against every single thing he did. Oh, no, you can't do this. Oh, no, can't do that. No, sorry, this is all. We declare everything is unconstitutional. And they would lead to these prolonged, protracted legal battles that sometimes would work out for him and sometimes wouldn't. And it halted his agenda greatly, even more so than a do-nothing Republican Congress. His agenda was stifled a lot by these judges. He was still able to do a lot, that being said. But if it were nothing for these hack judges who realistically have no power, he could have gotten more done. And I said, and I do firmly believe, he should have just defied these judges and said, screw you, I'm going to do what I want because I know this is right for the country. I know you have no legal standing. This is not really unconstitutional. You just say it is because you're a leftist hack. Most of these judges are nominated by Obama, by the way, and there's that's no coincidence. He should have pulled an Andrew Jackson. Famously, Andrew Jackson, uh, at the time the Supreme Court ruled against a policy of his, led by uh, John Marshall, the most famous chief justice. Marshall ruled against him, and Jackson famously remarked, Marshall has made his ruling, now let him enforce it which was pointing out the fact, as laid out in the Constitution, the Supreme Court has no enforcement arm. There is no army of the Supreme Court. There's no blue berets who go around enforcing the Supreme Court's orders. It's on the executive branch to enforce those orders. You know, we saw that, of course, with the desegregation efforts in the South under Eisenhower and Kennedy. But no president, really. It's almost been an unspoken rule, kind of like the second, kind of like the, the two term limits for a president there. It was not in law. It was not in writing that a president could serve only two terms. It was just the standard set by George Washington, who honorably self term limited and said, I will serve no more than two terms of four years each, eight years total. Every president honored that up until a guy in a wheelchair decided he was going to just say YOLO and run for office as many times as possible until he died in his fourth term. And then the 22nd Amendment was passed to make that law. There is no written law that the executive branch has to obey the Supreme Court. And apparently Joe Biden understands this, or at least is more willing to act on it than Donald Trump would. On two major fronts, the Biden administration is openly defying the Supreme Court. First is on Texas's pro-life law. Texas passed a pro-life law, uh, ostensibly a heartbeat law. This was ultimately taken to the Supreme Court uh, by a abortion group seeking an emergency appeal to block it, and the Supreme Court ruled against that 5-4. The actual conservative justices, meaning all the conservatives except for Roberts, voted to deny the 
the, the stay, and they let the law go in place with the three liberals and Roberts dissenting. The Biden administration has continued to fight against this law despite the Supreme Court's ruling, and currently the law has since been temporarily overturned, but or I guess at this point, it's, it's one of those stays where you don't really know if it's permanent or not. It's been overturned by an Obama-appointed judge, District Judge Robert Pittman, and is currently awaiting appeal to the conservative Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. So on that front, the Supreme Court made their decision, and Biden said, no, we're going to fight it anyway. And on the other one, on the biggest front, on immigration, we talked about this in a previous episode. This was a major white pill when the Supreme Court came out and declared that Biden should reinstate the remaining Mexico policy. They ordered by the same 5-4 margin of the actual conservative justices against Roberts and the other three, <clears throat> ruling that Biden was legally obligated to reinstate remain in Mexico for the safety of the American people, and especially during coronavirus, and also as an effective immigration policy. On that one, too, the Biden administration is going to once again try to end the remain in Mexico policy, despite the fact that the Supreme Court already had their say. I don't know about you, Jacob, but again, I, I will give some props to Biden for doing this. He is putting his foot down. He is definitely being every bit as authoritarian as he wants to be. He's always wanted to compare himself to FDR and LBJ, two of the most authoritarian Democrats we've ever had, and he's doing it. So one thing that he doesn't have is a short attention span. This, this is one of the things that was a problem with Trump is he would focus on so many different issues, and then he, whenever a problem came up, he would focus on that problem. He would think that it was resolved. And he would just wipe his hands and say, OK, well, I've got my people to take care of. It. And he would turn to another issue. And in the meantime, his people wouldn't take care of it. And so one of the things that you pointed out whenever we were talking about this topic is the citizenship question and the um, the, the sanctuary cities policy. Exactly. Once again, on immigration, on no front was this more prominent with the Trump administration. On no other issue were there more rulings by hack judges in Hawaii against Trump than on immigration. But Biden doesn't do that. Instead, he st he stays the course. And he continues. And what they're going to try to do with this um, this Remain in Mexico policy is they're going to try to rescind the order again and rewrite it in such a way to where it will be found constitutional rather than just say, OK, you know, throw up their hands, and say this is it. We've got to let these migrants stay in Mexico. And uh, if the Trump administration had done that, when the citizenship question is a perfect example, they eventually just withdrew their complaints to the Supreme Court. They eventually just gave up. And it's like, OK, well, there's nothing we can do. And there's kind of a cope. Trump tried to tried to bring a cope with it. Okay, I'll instruct the departments to collect data in other ways, and we'll try to collect data on citizens and non-citizens. He directed like Bill way. Barr to lead that effort. Yeah, but the thing is, the departments are all run by Democrats, open borders Democrats. They're not going to be helpful in that regard. So, yeah. So this is one one area where I feel like the Trump administration could have done a whole lot more, and that is being persistent, especially on in the immigration front in the courts. And that's the thing, because again, there is technically no constitutional basis for the executive branch following. A judge's orders. They can do whatever they want. I saw this headline from USA Today, and thankfully I managed to get this article courtesy of the MSN news service, so I was able to get it through, because on USA Today, this article is behind a paywall. So screw USA Today, I'm able to get this content without paying a, you a penny. The headline, quote, Texas state troopers arrest thousands of migrants crossing the border, period. Critics call it unconstitutional. Really? So detaining illegal aliens who committed a crime just by virtue of setting foot in this country is unconstitutional. You got to love the way this starts off, too. These these long-winded left-wing sob stories about the plight of refugees or illegals, they always start off with personal stories. They find a couple of names. They interview this, this you know, this couple, this man and woman with 20 children or whatever. <laughs> Quote, Ivan Nava and David Munoz... Friends from Guerrero, Mexico, crossed into the USA together in June without permission. Oh, they make it sound like you, you left the classroom to go to the bathroom without a hall pass. They hope to connect with relatives, find jobs, and map out better lives for their families back in Mexico. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, so they're coming to the USA to find relatives, find jobs. I didn't know wanting a slightly higher paycheck was a legitimate excuse to illegally enter the country, but I digress. Map out better lives for their families in Mexico? Wait, so what does that mean? Does that mean they're going to bring all their family over from Mexico or they're going to send a portion of their paycheck back to Mexico? I never, I don't fully but, understand. But this is admitting that they're not refugees. No. Like, this is one of the things, this was one of the arguments that these people are fleeing persecution, they're fleeing violence, and you know they're, they're in their lives are going to be in danger. USA Today is blatantly admitting that these people are coming here as economic migrants. They're coming here for jobs. They're not coming here as refugees. 
I mean, they're they're basically uh, and they've they've acute they've accrued so much power that they can just blatantly say, yeah, they're coming to take your jobs, Americans, and there's nothing you can do about it. And and they act like that's a legitimate reason to cross borders and flee one country for another. Again, the, it's ah, oh, I I just can't. But again, that's not even the main point. The main point. Oh, let me get back to the quote. Quote: They hope to connect with relatives, find jobs, and map out better lives for their families back in Mexico. Instead, they sat in a Texas prison for seven weeks, unclear as to the charges against them or what awaited them. End quote. Well, gee, <laughs> unclear. Ma- they didn't know. They didn't know they were, had committed a crime. Yeah, I, I, I thought we could just cross the border willy nilly. I, I, I wasn't aware we could. We, it was a crime to illegally enter another country. What, what are we being charged with, officer? Am I being detained? This is like some weird libertarian nonsense. Like, what? Well, this is. Av- the audacity this is either genuine stupidity and ignorance they are that dumb that they don't understand that's illegal or that is once again i think i would probably say this is the case it's a sign of their entitlement illegals are the most entitled people in the country if not the world illegals in the united states especially you're seeing this we talked i think we hinted at this briefly with uh with cinema Kristen cinema the senator from arizona the democrat who is admittedly kind of owning up to her campaign promises to be a moderate. She's basically giving Arizona Democrats a taste of what Arizona Republicans dealt with with years of John McCain and Jeff Flake, and she's not willing to vote for the 3.5 gazillion uh, reconciliation bill, which includes amnesty. And now twice in the bathrooms at uh, in Capitol Hill, in Congress, bathrooms in Congress, and then again at Reagan National Airport outside of D.C., she was surrounded and accosted by illegal aliens, self-admitted illegal aliens who were claiming, we knocked on doors for you. We we campaigned for you. Like, <laughs> now you are betraying us. And we I'm we a- voted for you. That's the thing. We <laughs> voted for you. So you're admitting you're illegals who voted. Well, first off, I'm going to I'm gonna call BS on that. I don't think they actually knocked on doors for her. I think they are just saying that to try to make her feel bad. But second, you're illegals admitting you're in this country illegally. You voted illegally in this country illegally. You're admitting to being here in the country illegally, and yet you still have the audacity to harass a senator as she's in the bathroom stall and then getting off a plane in an airport and talk to her and accost her and act like she owes you anything. These people are so entitled, and it drives me absolutely insane. But the thing is they have been led to believe that it's okay to cross the border illegally by American elites. USA Today is the most widely circulated newspaper in the United States. It has been for for at least two decades, even more so than the New York Times. And whenever whenever USA Today in their paywall section is basically saying, yeah, these people are coming here as economic migrants. They came here without permission, and now it's terrible that we're putting them in jail – what kind of message does that send to foreigners abroad? The only people – because to foreigners abroad, the impression they have is the only people who believe that – who the only Americans who think that the American border should exist are fascist. Yeah, that, and that's a racist concept. You know, that, that's the famous chant. You know, no, no borders, no wall, no USA at all. They literally believe in destroying the border because they know one of the strongest symbols of a country is a border. And if you don't have a border and you have hordes of hundreds of thousands of third worlders pouring over the border, hiding in bridges under bridges in Texas, knowing they'll be picked up and released and into the country and, and they get to go free, you don't have a country anymore. The article goes on, quote, they are two of thousands of migrants who crossed into Texas from Mexico this year without proper documentation. Again, like, like they left their passport at home or something. <laughs> And were rounded up as part of Operation Lone Star, Governor Greg Abbott's based initiative to use state troopers and National Guard soldiers to help bolster federal immigration enforcement, which is good for him. I know we we definitely have our uh, qualms with Abbott. He's kind of sketchy here and there, but this is a good thing he's doing. Tuesday, a Texas district court judge dismissed the charges of criminal trespassing against Nava and Munoz after prosecutors were unprepared to present probable cause in the case. Advocates hailed it as a major victory against Operation Lone Star, which they allege is unconstitutional and flouts federal laws. Supporters of the policy claim it's Abbott's right to stop undocumented migrants. There's that term again, illegal aliens. I fixed it for you USA Today. Illegal aliens from streaming into Texas if the federal government fails at the task, end quote. So again, Abbott's argument here is that truthfully... The federal government, federal immigration authorities, ICE, CBP, lots of agents want to enforce the law, but they are being ordered not to enforce the law. Instead, they're being put on diaper duty for babies. So Abbott is saying, well, if the federal government's not going to do it, we'll do it for them. It's our state. We border the, we're border. we on the border. We own the major over half of the total border between the United States and Mexico is in Texas. We're going to enforce it. 
And I think that is correct. I think you could definitely make a constitutional argument for that. Say, for example, if an invading army, if, if Cuba invades Texas, I mean, it'll never happen. But let's say if Cuba invades Texas and Biden does not order the military, he orders the military to stand down, the U.S. Army, the Marines, Navy, you're not allowed to go fight the, the, the Cubans who are invading Texas right now. You, you are not allowed to do anything. Technically, the military has to obey the orders of the commander in chief. That's how the chain of command works. Abbott says, okay, I'll use the National Guard and Texas Rangers and state law enforcement and we'll fight them ourselves. And they say, oh, no, no, that's unconstitutional. You, you can't do that. You can't fight a foreign army. What are you talking about? That's unconstitutional. That's only the military can do that. It's the same thing here. It, in a lot of ways, it's very similar. You have a foreign hostile force invading the state and the federal government is welcoming them in saying, hey, which door do you want to come in with? Which, which welcome mat would you prefer to step over? And that is a complete failure of their duty. But they're going to hide behind the Constitution and act like, oh, we still care about the Constitution. You know, we don't care about borders. We don't care about national identity, but we care about the Constitution. Well, the thing is, the idea behind this is that, OK, the federal government controls immigration. This isn't a state issue. You can't the states can't enforce immigration law. But that would be like saying, OK, well, a state can't deport somebody. That that makes sense. You know, the, the deportation is that's under the purview of the federal government. But to say that a state can't detain someone for being illegal in the state, that, that's that's just insane. That would be like – I mean think about it. If I went illegally to Mexico and I got arrested for being in the country without a passport, without a driver's license, without any form of identification, that would be like the, the like lawyers arguing, no, the state in Mexico, let's say if it's uh, – like what's the state in Mexico? I don't even remember what the, the names of their states let are. Me, like, let me check. Let's, say, let's okay. say Baja, California. Let's say I'm, I'm in Baja, California. I get arrested, and the federal government in Mexico says, no, you got to let him go because that's our job. I mean, can you imagine? The state would be like, well, why aren't you doing your job? Why aren't you arresting this guy and getting him out of our country? And this is the idea. You know, yeah, you got illegal aliens who are in Texas. It's not the job of Texas to deport them, but to argue that Texas can't even arrest them for being in their state illegally without any form of identification. I mean, that, that almost – that takes it so far to the point where you would have to have – an ICE officer on the ground in every single town in America basically carrying out police functions in order for only an ICE officer to arrest an illegal immigrant. And Mayorkas recently issued a memo to DHS, or not DHS, to ICE, telling ICE that they are not allowed to deport anyone unless they are a criminal. Unless they have committed a crime or if they're on like a terror watch list, they are not allowed to deport anyone. So... The federal government isn't going to arrest these people, and now the state isn't allowed to arrest these people either. We essentially have an open border. If you can make it past the border guards, you're home free. Not even get past the border guards. The border guards will basically help you. You see the video on Fox News. Border agents will help pull these fat migrants out of the river as they cross the really shallow part of the Del Rio River. But in that sense, they're booked. if If they do pull them out of the Rio Grande, they're booked. And they're given a court date. But in this instance, if you're able to make it past the border guards, then you're not even booked and you're not even given a court date. Right. You're just here and you're free to get a job if you can get a job and work. This is essentially libertarian utopia. This is yeah, this no is borders. the country that the libertarians want. They don't believe in any borders. They just figure, OK, everyone should just be allowed to migrate and you know live where you can find work. Well, and especially because those who are uh, booked and given a court date, a lot of them just skip town. They don't even show up for the court date. They immediately just – they are not put under custody of any kind or restrained. They're told, oh, they're just – we'll trust you to show up like a good boy or good girl and come to your court date. And, of course, they, they skip. They go, they go to California. Well, like Trump said in the debate, the only people that would do that have an extremely low IQ. I mean that, that's, that's basically like – let's say you commit a crime and the police arrest you. And they say, OK, well, we have to let you go, but – on this particular date, you need to come back and stand trial. And if you don't stand trial, we won't be able to find you. But we want you to come back and stand trial. And if you're convicted, you're going to spend a long time in prison. It's the honor system, who's guys. Gonna, yeah, yeah, who's going to show up to that trial and risk going to jail? Uh, no, you know, only no someone one. with an extremely low IQ would, oh, okay, I need to go. I need to follow the law and go stand trial so I can go spend some time in jail. No, I mean, if uh, what's the guy's name who uh, they think murdered Petito? Oh, uh, Brian Laundry. Look, if Brian Laundry can evade the FBI, I, I'm sure these uh, these illegal aliens can evade ICE and DHS when ICE and DHS aren't even looking for them. Well, I think the solution in both of those cases uh, clearly is we need to get Dog the Bounty Hunter on the case. 
he will he'll find Brian Laundry and then he'll find every single one of these illegals. Oh yeah, hey, if you deputized <laughs> American citizens to uh, to snuff out to sniff out illegal aliens and get them out of this country, it would be done in a month. They use could, the they same could. system the left is using to rat out students for not wearing a mask properly, and use that. And Charlie Kirk said this on his uh, on his podcast. It was a podcast or his radio show. I'm not sure which. He said that he said that in Texas, especially where lots of citizens have guns, they should deputize not just the st- state law enforcement troopers, state troopers, national guard, deputize. American citizens form Minutemen militias along the border, just like Cesar Chavez's cousin, who famously hated illegal immigrants and went out of his way to give them very special treatment before throwing them forcefully back over the border. Seriously, form militia groups to patrol the border and do the job that the federal government won't do. It is necessary. It's necessary to protect our country from a national security standpoint. I was referencing, I was going to make this point earlier. It should not be getting to the point where, oh, only deport them if they're on a terror watch list. We shouldn't be having terror watch list suspects coming into this country. We should not have Middle Eastern terrorists who are confirmed in intelligence. They are taking full advantage of the border. The border's wide open. The perfect way to slip in a terror cell or a terrorist agent into this country completely on under the cover of darkness well, and to show, carry out attacks and bombings here in the country. It just shows you how America's elites feel about American citizens when you've got draconian totalitarian snitching going on, encouraged by universities, encouraged by the government. You've got the FBI cracking down on Americans if they even are perceived to say something or do something that could be racially insensitive. I mean, think about the Bubba Wallace episode. They put, what was it, 13 FBI agents on that hoax? On a, on a noose, quote-unquote. It, it was it was a garage door pull, a rope that was used to pull the garage door down. He claimed it was a noose. They sent 13 FBI agents to investigate that. But yet they can't find Brian Laundrie. They don't, the reason why they can't even do their job, like they can't find someone who's suspected of murdering someone, is because they're too busy being trained in anti-racism mm-hmm. and trained to hate the United States. And I mentioned this earlier in one of our previous episodes. I actually overheard a couple of guys who work at the FBI in D.C. a few months ago, and they were arguing that people like Ted Cruz have outsized influence because for 200, however long, uh, 200, what is it, 225 years that the country's been around, 250 years People like Ted Cruz have been given a leg up, you know, because he's white, saying that because, you know, throughout our country's history, people like that, conservatives, white conservatives are given outsized influence. And this is the indoctrination that people in the FBI are given whenever they're trained. So you've got these people who are sitting through all this anti-racist training. They don't even know how to do their job. They can't even find a murderer anymore. They can't find a suspect. They let Brian Laundrie sit sit at his house and plot his escape for over a week. Before they finally decide to go looking for him, but hey, if you're a January sixth suspect, they 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 can track you down and find you. Or but, if you, or if you're a, pro, a parent who protests at school board meetings. So I remember this was one of Obama's last State of the Union addresses. He was talking about he's saying that one of the greatest things about America is that American citizens don't have to worry about a subtle knock on the door at night. They don't have to. They don't, they can sleep soundly. They don't have to worry about someone coming and knocking on their door. Well, in the America that the post Obama progressives are creating. Americans do have to worry about that because they never know if they wrote something online Mm -hmm. or said something to someone that can be perceived as insensitive and they can get a knock on the door or if they're accused, falsely accused by someone of being at, you know, invading the Capitol on January 6th, that they get a knock on the door and they might not even get a knock on the door. It might just be their door being busted down by the FBI. Exactly. No, 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 no knock warrants, right? The left, the left loves no knock warrants when it's being used against Trump voters. That's the thing. It's not even, not all Americans have to worry about that. It's only Americans who dare to commit the crime of being a Republican or voting for Donald Trump. You know, obviously BLM and Antifa can literally burn down dozens of cities, hundreds of businesses, injure hundreds of people, kill over two dozen people over the course of a summer, cause $2 billion worth of damage, and they get off scot-free. They get bailed out by the future vice president of the United States. They get a complete, they get not even a slap on the wrist. A slap on the wrist would be considered too much. They get to go free, actual domestic terrorists like BLM and Antifa, but Trump supporters who took selfies in Nancy Pelosi's office or dare to question the results of the 2020 election, I don't know, solitary confinement for you. You can't help but wonder, is there any solution, Jacob? Is there anything that can possibly be done to stop this or reverse this? Oh, of course. This could have been reversed decades ago. But the, you're not going to reverse it with a party that believes in libertarianism. You're not going to reverse it with a party that believes in limited government. Because as it stands right now, the only institution that people on the right have any influence over at all in the United States is government. They don't have any influence. And they no longer have any influence in the, co- in the corporate world. 
as we can see with Glenn Youngkin. I mean, Glenn Youngkin being on the on the board. What was the name of the company? Carlisle. But Glenn Carlisle Youngkin group. being the the co executive of Carlisle, he's now encourage he was encouraging people to donate to the SPLC. Obviously, even conservatives have no influence in corporate America, even if they're running corporate America. So conservatives, people on the right in America, they don't have influence in any institution other than government. They can still elect people to government. I mean, voter fraud isn't so widespread that they can they can't elect people to government. It's in a handful of states, but ultimately, yeah, like you look at some states that ultimately Republicans still have total control, whether it's Florida, Texas, Ohio, all these others. So how do you fight back against this kind of this kind of totalitarian progressivism? The only way to do it is to use the one institution that you can control to crack down on the other institutions, and that is government. Government is not the problem. Government is the solution. We You're tried not- the free market solution. We tried using the free market, and look where that has got us. That got us big tech censorship. That's got woke corporations that support BLM burning down half of America. You, you might as well give government a shot. So the country will continue – Americans will continue to lose their country more and more because as it stands right now, Americans don't really control their country. We're being controlled by international elites who value the lives of non-Americans more than they value American citizens, especially American citizens who want to try to push back against their power. So in this situation, nothing's going to change. In fact, things are going to get a whole lot worse until the people on the right stop seeing government as the enemy and they start seeing government as the solution. Conservatives in America need to embrace big government as the solution. They need to wield the power of big government. We didn't even get to this, but I was going to mention – what's the lady's name? The face of the so-called Facebook whistleblower? Frances Haugen. She's basically just a Democratic operative. Who and the Democrat and uh, Glenn Greenwald had a really good article on Substack. We'll link it in the description, pointing out how Democrats don't they, they don't they want to regulate big tech not because they're against big business but because they want to wield big tech's power to crush their political enemies. Exactly, like the fact that Elizabeth Warren and Josh Hawley agree on breaking up big tech does not mean they share the same motivations or goals at all. Well, the only way to stop that from happening is if government. Is if conservatives use government to their ends. They have to see government as a stick that they can wield for power. And look, and t- this may go against their conservative sensibilities, and I understand that, especially people who grew up before the end of the Cold War. But the country is going to continue to go to hell in a handbasket until they get over that. They're just going to have to get over that. They're going to have to understand that the only way this is stopped is whenever they capture government and they use government as a tool. As we have said before, this Cold War era mindset that lasted for half a century, government bad, big government bad, Ronald Reagan's scariest words in the English language are, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. Like, yes, out of born out of opposition to communism in the form of the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc, yes, that made sense. We were the capitalists, we were the free, small government people. That's gone now. The Soviet Union is gone, the Cold War is over. There's no reason to be as terrified of big government if you can get big government back on your side. If you can take control of it and use it. If and guess what? If you support President Trump on trade, you know, on tariffs and protectionism, that means you support big government because that is a government measure and there's nothing wrong with that. If you support slamming that border shut, deporting all illegals, that means you support big government because that is using the government to accomplish your political goals. If you support the police, if you back the blue, the police are technically part of the government. You support them. There are there are plenty of pro-government positions that the right holds. It's just a matter of recognizing that those are pro-government positions and there's no shame in that. And that as such, we should support other pro-government solutions in order to solve these broader problems. That may not be conventional wisdom on the right, but the fact of the matter is that that is the right take. That is all the time we have left for this episode, episode 40. As always, be sure to follow all of our latest content at righttakepodcast.com. All of the podcast platforms and social media websites where we are available, righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. And if you are feeling so generous, support what we do here at The Right Take at righttakepodcast.com slash support. We'll talk to you next week, guys.